Hey guys, I'm Abigail Miller, and welcome back to Generation Invincible, a podcast on public health, healthcare policy, and social justice issues by a millennial for millennials, and anyone else that cares about the health and social problems facing our nation. Happy 4th of July, or 5th of July, I should say. I hope everyone had a wonderful long weekend filled with fun. And in the spirit of red, white, blue, and patriotism of this holiday, I started thinking about veterans. On Facebook, I always see tons and tons of stuff honoring our vets, cute videos of soldiers returning from war and being reunited with their families, and everywhere we see support of our soldiers and veterans. But what happens to them when they return? What kind of life do they face? And more importantly, what health problems do they have? And where do they go for help? So that's what today's episode is about. To honor our veterans, I want to talk about veterans' health care in the United States, what it is and what benefits veterans get, the organization of the VA, the problems it has, and where we go from here. So there are a few different types of health care options for soldiers and veterans, and there are definitely strict stipulations for eligibility of these different options. If you served in the active military service and were separated under any condition other than dishonorable, you may qualify for VA health care benefits. Current and former members of the Reserves or National Guard who were called to active duty by a federal order and completed the full period for which they were called or ordered to active duty may be eligible for VA benefits as well. Most veterans who enlisted after September 7, 1980 or entered active duty after October 16, 1981 must have served 24 continuous months or the full period for which they were called to active duty in order to be eligible. This minimum duty requirement may not apply to veterans who were discharged for a disability incurred or aggravated in the line of duty, for a hardship or early out, or those who served prior to September 7, 1980. One type of coverage, which, by the way, all types of soldiers or veterans care is considered minimum essential coverage by law, is called the VA Civilian Health and Medical Program. The Civilian Health and Medical Program of the Department of Veterans Affairs is a comprehensive healthcare program in which the VA shares the cost of covered health services and supplies with eligible beneficiaries. Due to the similarity between this program and the Department of Defense TRICARE program, the two are often mistaken for each other. The Civilian Health and Medical Program is a Department of Veterans Affairs program, while TRICARE is a regionally managed healthcare program for active duty and retired members of the uniformed services, their families, and survivors. In some cases, a veteran may appear to be eligible for both or either program on paper. However, if you're a military retiree or the spouse of a veteran who was killed in action, you are and will always be a TRICARE beneficiary, and you can't choose between the two. So, veterans' benefits first started in 1944 with the Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944, commonly known as the GI Bill of Rights. This brought together partisan politics, as all agreed that veterans needed help to assimilate after their services. This was in part a result of the aftermath of World War I, where veterans were given about $60 and a train ticket home, nothing else. Before this, most veterans found it difficult to make ends meet for obvious reasons. Enter the Bonus Act. Good in theory, bad in execution. Why? Because although it provided a bonus based on the number of days served, most veterans wouldn't see any of the money for 20 years. As a result, A group of veterans demanded full payment of their bonuses by marching on Washington in the summer of 1932. Their efforts were not so fruitful. 
So the GI Bill was not only supposed to redeem Congress for ignoring veterans after World War I, but to prevent a second depression from taking over the country. The Veterans Administration was responsible for carrying out the law's key provisions, education and training, loan guarantee for homes, farms, or businesses, and unemployment pay. Thanks to the GI Bill, millions who would have flooded the job market instead opted for education. In the peak year of 1947, veterans accounted for 49% of college admissions. By the time the original GI Bill ended on July 25, 1956, 7.8 million of 16 million World War II vets had participated in an education or training program. The most recent version of the GI Bill, which was updated in 2008, gives veterans with active duty service on or after September 11, 2001, enhanced educational benefits that cover more educational expenses, provide a living allowance, money for books, and the ability to transfer their unused educational benefits to spouses or children. The last type of healthcare for veterans that I want to talk about is the Spina Bifida Healthcare Benefits Program. The Department of Veterans Affairs provides money, vocational training, and rehabilitation and healthcare benefits to certain Korea and Vietnam veterans' birth children who have been diagnosed with spina bifida. Basically, if a veteran parent, who is either male or female, served in the Republic of South Vietnam during a specified time, or in or near the Korean demilitarized zone during a different time, and was exposed to herbicides, they may have been exposed to elements that caused their children to develop spina bifida. If you're the birth child of a Vietnam veteran and you've been diagnosed with spina bifida, you may already be receiving monetary allowances, vocational training, or rehabilitation due to your condition. But for the purpose of spina bifida healthcare benefits program, spina bifida is defined as all forms or manifestations of spina bifida except spina bifida occulta. So all of these different types of care, like I said before, cover minimum essential health care benefits and can be applied for through various channels. Sounds good, right? You're a veteran or soldier, you and your family have health care coverage, everything is fine and dandy. Or maybe not, since the VA has been plagued with scandals, corruption, poor management, and many other problems for years. One of the biggest reports related to the Veterans Health Administration scandal of 2014 was a CNN report in April of 2014 that at least 40 Armed Forces veterans had died while waiting for care at the Phoenix, Arizona Veterans Health Administration facilities. After this, Veterans Affairs internal investigations had identified 35 veterans who had died while waiting for care in the Phoenix VHA system as of June of 2014. An internal VA audit released June 9, 2014, found that more than 120,000 veterans were left waiting or never got care, and that schedulers were pressured to use unofficial lists or engage in inappropriate practices to make waiting times appear more favorable. On June 11, 2014, the FBI opened a criminal investigation of the VA. President Barack Obama ordered a White House investigation. On June 27, 2014, Obama's Deputy Chief Chief of Staff, Rob Nabors, reported significant and chronic system failures and a corrosive culture inside the Veterans Health Administration. In August 2014, Obama signed congressional legislation regarding funding and reform of the Veterans Health Administration. I'll talk more about this a little later. 
Obviously, Phoenix was just the tip of the iceberg. A scheduler at a VHA care clinic in Austin, Texas, cited the practice of zeroing out delays in appointments that was common practice, and it meant falsifying information in the VA's record system that's monitored by government officials to track patient wait times. In Fort Collins, Colorado, there was a dramatic change in March 2013 of the number of appointments booked within a 14-day window for its outpatient clinic. This was related to a new performance measure established in a memo by VA Deputy Undersecretary for Health Administration Operations, William Schoenard, who wanted to measure the number of days between a veteran's desired appointment date and their actual appointment date. The Fort Collins Clinic, which is overseen by the Cheyenne, Wyoming Veterans Affairs Office, had been instructed to manipulate the appointment dates by entering the patient's desired date as their actual appointment date. This essentially made the wait time appear to be zero days for that clinic, which the coordinator of the Cheyenne office wrote as saying it was, quote, gaming the system a bit, but you have to know the rules of the game you're playing. If that wasn't enough, there were also reports that two schedulers at the Fort Collins facility were reassigned to Wyoming after they had refused to comply with instructions to falsify information about the patient wait times. So the employees who didn't want to lie were punished. And if that wasn't enough, there were even more problems at the facility, such as a shortage of medical providers and attempts to hide evidence of canceled appointments. Moving on to Columbia, South Carolina, a report that came out in September of 2013 showed that thousands of patients at the VA Medical Center in Columbia had their appointments for colon cancer screenings delayed, resulting in over 50 patients having a delayed diagnosis and later deaths attributed to this delay. Apparently, this was due to mismanagement at the center. Additionally, a 2008 report indicated that documents that were critical in the processing of veterans' disability claims had been destroyed. Although this had occurred at at least 40 locations nationwide, the Columbia location had the most cases and accounted for about one-fifth of the overall cases. Also, between 2009 and 2013, the backlog of disability claims in Colombia more than doubled from 33% to 71%. Senator Tom Coburn, a Republican senator and physician from Oklahoma, issued a separate report regarding the problems with the VA. According to this report, released in 2014, more than a 1,000 veterans may have died in the last decade as a result of malpractice or lack of care from the VA medical centers. Citing government investigations and media reports, there was found to be a long history of fraudulent scheduling, budget mismanagement, insufficient oversight, and a lack of accountability that has made the VA the mess that it is today. In fact, Coburn's office says that the VA previously distributed $20 billion since the beginning of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan to non-health-related things like office makeovers, unused software licenses, undocumented purchases on government debit cards, and the funding of call centers that only get less than three calls per day, among many other things. Also, since 2001, the VA has paid about $845 million in malpractice costs, of which $36.4 million was used to settle claims involving delayed health care. Insert shock face emoji here. But it goes even deeper. 
Crimes were committed by VA staff, including drug dealing, theft, and sexual assault for years and years and years. For example, one former employee at the Tampa, Florida VA was sentenced to six years in federal prison for trading veterans' personal information for crack cocaine. But hey, at least they got caught. But on top of that, VA senior managers are still getting raises for practices that are basically fueling the fire. Just one example of this is former VA regional director Michael Moreland, who received a $63,000 bonus in 2013 for failed infection prevention policies. Moreland presided over the Pittsburgh VA, where an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease killed six veterans in 2011 and 2012. Okay, okay. So what's being done? Well, I mentioned that President Obama signed new legislation into law that was enacted by Congress. This was the Veterans Access, Choice, and Accountability Act of 2014. Basically, with $15 billion in new funding for the Department of Veterans Affairs Healthcare, this law requires the VA to offer vets the option to receive care and services from a non-VA provider when a VA facility cannot accommodate them within 30 days or when vets reside more than 40 miles from the nearest VA facility. The law allocated $10 billion to go to the expected increase of utilization of non-VA providers, and then the remaining $5 billion to increase veterans' access to care by expanding VA's capacity to deliver care to veterans by hiring additional clinicians and improving the physical infrastructure of VA facilities. According to a report released by the U.S. Government Accountability Office entitled Managing Risks and Improving VA Healthcare, we still have a ways to go. For example, the Veterans Access, Choice, and Accountability Act includes the establishment of a 15-member commission appointed by bipartisan congressional leadership to analyze what is the best way to organize the VA healthcare system, locate healthcare resources, and deliver healthcare to veterans. The GAO report says that leaders need to act on the findings of this commission as well as on those of the VA's Office of the Inspector General, GAO, and others, and to, quote, fully commit themselves to developing long-term solutions that mitigate risks to the timeliness, cost-effectiveness, quality, and safety of the VA healthcare system. But here's what it all boils down to. Sharing pictures on Facebook in solidarity with soldiers and veterans is not enough. In fact, it's basically nothing. Actually doing something for veterans is what makes a difference. And no, I don't mean donating money as Donald Trump allegedly (laughs) did. I mean getting out there and working towards helping their lives when they get back. That could mean becoming a counselor for veterans suffering from PTSD, helping find housing, as there are almost 50,000 veterans experiencing homelessness, which represents over 8% of the population of individuals experiencing homelessness, advocating for reform for veterans' health care, because, by the way, despite all of this evidence, it's definitely still ongoing, or whatever you can think of. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It isn't enough to think about doing something. If you think that something needs to change, don't be the person that expects other people to do it. DIY. Do it yourself. Unfortunately, we don't live in a world where you can expect that someone else will do what needs to be done, will do their social responsibility to make this world a better place. 
to submit feedback about Generation Invincible, ask questions, make suggestions for future episodes, or if you just want someone to listen to what you have to say, email generationinvincible at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out Generation Invincible's new Tumblr page. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Until next time, to quote Sue Kelly, who was a member of the House of Representatives for the State of New York from 1995 to 2007, the sacrifices made by veterans and their willingness to fight in defense of our nation merit our deep respect and praise, and, the, and to the best in benefits and medical care. 